Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on the payoff, Ben Tuff is coming off swimming 25 miles in just under 15 hours. Another huge number, 10 years of sobriety. The swimming he does to generate money for clean ocean access is all predicated on the fact that he is sober. Just like everything he did before was predicated on where his next drink was coming from. So Ben Tuff is a great guy. I'm so pumped I got a chance to talk to him. He's got a documentary coming out. We talk about all of this great stuff on the payoff. But first, Kevin Souza. New on the night team at Jamestown resident is once again making waves for a clean ocean. Ben Tuff swam from Providence to Jamestown today. That's more than 23 miles. The night team's Teddy Tope Adelaide is live in Jamestown. This is Ben. Ben, what's up, man? It's Pete Souza. How you doing? Good. Hanging in there. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great. I'm, I'm just happy I didn't catch you swimming. I mean, you, you, I, I, don't know how, I don't know how you're not swimming all the time. Well, I, this is like a record. I don't think I've been swimming in a week and my body's like, what is going on? Cause school has been so crazy getting back into the swing of things. And I just haven't had time to get out there. And it's like, after going so hard for a year straight, it's like, what the heck is going <laughs> on? You just finished up swimming 25 miles, right? From Providence to Newport. Is that right? Correct. Yep. So why why is Ben Tuff swimming twenty five miles? Oh well, when you make the decisions that that I did in in my life, and and you occupy so much of your time and so much of your brain space uh, with those decisions, and 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 for me, I was always looking for escapes from from reality, stress. From I mean, we made or I made excuses for any little thing in life, the happy things, the uh, depressing things, whatever. Um, you know, it, it, it started as just like, oh, I'll have a couple beers tonight and, and just kind of relax. And, and that was the way that you just step back and, and, and you were able to take a deep breath. And, and when it works. It worked. Oh, yeah, it worked great. Uh, but as those beers started to turn into vodka and turn into more and more volumes of it, my my whole life was just tumbling out of control. And as as I finally reached, you know, my my bottom, my rock bottom, uh, it was it was time for me to fill that void. And I didn't know what the heck to do. And I was in, in rehab and, and I was I was trying to talk to people. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually figuring out now that I'm not drinking. I have a lot of time on my hands. 
Yeah. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, I was also stuck in my head a lot. So uh, I, my first sponsor said, Ben, you need to just, you're an athletic dude. Like, get out there and do triathlon. And um, I was like, well, I don't really know how to swim. So I said, well, I'll try it. I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll learn how to swim. I'll do some of these little triathlons. And, and then, then by I'll the way, on. that is such a kudo or, or a nod to sobriety and somebody who's really like in it because, you know, you start to like, I still am, am like, I struggle like learning something new just because of the fear. Uh, but right. you know, like you're, how old were you when you got sober? 10 years ago. So, so okay. 32. Yeah. Same as me. Yeah. I got sober when I was 34 and it was about 10 years ago. So you get sober and, and you're willing to learn new stuff and, and you learn to swim and, and that, I guess partially along with recovery becomes sort of, you know, sort of like your therapy. Right. I, I, and the funny thing is, is, you know, I'm still very close with, with my sponsor. We, we talk usually weekly. His name is Ken and um, he's big into triathlon. He's doing like Ironman and all these crazy things. And I bet that if he said, you know what, Ben, you should try skydiving. You know, you should just go off, start start doing these crazy things. I would have done it. Like, yeah. you'd, be jumping, you'd be jumping out of planes to raise money now for the environment. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, one thing led to another and with triathlon. And honestly, like, I, I got tired. Of, I'm so competitive. Like, I got tired of losing. Um, and not losing. And I... I I would win some things and, and be middle of the pack and, and some things. But I said, you know, it's not that I'm doing this for myself anymore. I'm kind of doing it against everyone else. And then I, I, I was thinking, I'm actually like winning a lot of these swimming things. So, so I'm going to go with the swimming thing for a while. And, and that's when I got into open water swimming. And uh, I, my first big swim was a 12 and a half mile swim around Key West. And I was like, I have found, I have found out what it's all about because it's not, it's not, it wasn't really competitive. It was just get to the end. And I said to myself, okay, this is definitely my calling. I'm going to take it and I'm going to run with it. Well, you took it and you swam with it and, 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 you, exactly. and you're, making, you're making history. You're making documentaries. The documentary is, is uh, how I swam my way out of a bottle swim tough. Uh, and uh, let's go back to your story before we get to, to what you're doing now. Uh, when was, did, did you grow up? You're, you're in the Northeast now. Are you in Rhode Island? So I'm in Vermont now. So I, Vermont. I work at a ski school here in, uh, in Vermont and, uh, I, I grew up in Atlanta. Oh, really? So, okay. So you grew up in Atlanta and what's your childhood like? Like is, how is, how is alcohol part of it? Is there alcoholism in your family? How does the young Ben tough alcoholic develop? Oh yeah. We're the, I'm the youngest of six kids. I, I remember, um, you know, my, my first experience myself was, I was 13. Um, and, and my friend Casey came over for new years and, and all my older siblings, my oldest sibling is 10 years older than me. I think he had just graduated from college at that time. Um, and then, all my college age siblings are like, Oh, you guys got to try this. And we, we had grown up with, you know, in a British slash Canadian household where there were no drinking ages and, and 
everyone kind of did their own thing. Um, and, and I remember I, I was only like 13 and, and, uh, just trying to stomach down beer with my friend Casey and, um, and, Dude, like, that is oh a great, my. by the way, that's a great way to describe it. Like the first way that I drank, you know, I was muscling it down. I was a real, I was a real <laughs> young kid, but it wasn't, I just knew that there was something on the other side that was there for me because I'd seen it in, in people in my family. And it was such a, it just seemed like such a big deal. What's this alcohol thing? I got to figure, I got, I got to experience this. Right. Right. And you know, there wasn't a so, social event in my house where alcohol wasn't a huge part of it. Um, and it was, I mean, even at lunches, um, when, when the whole family was together, it was just, a a, a, a part of our life and uh, a part of my upbringing. And, and, and then I, you know, I started to play soccer and, and I didn't really have much interest in, in drinking. And it wasn't until my 11th grade year where we, we started to you know, kind of have, drink on the weekends with our friends and our house was the party house. And I didn't see it at the time. It wasn't like I was getting like totally obliterated or anything. Um, but I, there was definitely a, a reliance in the fact that like I remember like thinking ahead on a Monday, like where am I going to get my beer this weekend for this weekend? Where are we going to drink? Like what is it going to be? And it was like a fixation almost. Yes, everything um, you do is for, for me, a young alcoholic, uh, athlete too, like, like you. And, uh, everything was predicated on where I was going to get drunk or, or smoke weed next, right. In high school, everything. And I didn't really even understand that until I got sober and I'm able to talk to guys like you and look back, um, with a, a new pair of glasses, right. As we say, like, wow, this is totally different. Um, now that I'm looking at this and, and my every action was determined already because I, I wanted to get drunk. Right. Right. And, you know, as I, the coping mechanisms that I lost out on, I didn't recognize until after I got out of rehab. And I, it was like more than a, you, yeah, you had your pink cloud and you, you, you're really excited about new beginnings. But socially, I was very special in that I couldn't, really interact with people i didn't talk up everyone always knew me as that kind of loud obnoxious like all over the place kind of guy and and i I was just kind of lost because all my social i guess infrastructure was built upon alcohol and uh the the inhibitions being dulled um, and, and suddenly I had to think on my own and, and actually be real and have real conversations. That was hard. What did you think, uh, just going back to high school, I feel like you're telling my story, by the way, it's very similar. And I know we're, as alcoholics, we're, we're similar, but this is very similar to my story. What did you feel like you missed out on in high school because of, of your drinking when you look back now? Well, I, I think that I, I missed out on all those kind of opportunities that that came up that I probably just disregarded because um, I prioritized the, the parties and the alcohol above them, you know, whether it be like a, a trip to someone's lake house or 
down to Amelia Island or down to Sea Island. I would have much rather just stayed in Atlanta and, and done the, the weekend schlag of, and it was so dumb. Like we were just like pounding beers in the basement, playing James Bond on Nintendo 64, like 11 guys. Like, as you think about it, it's just so weird. Um, and, and as I, I was thinking about it the other day, I was, I was talking to um, some of my students about it. I'm like, you know, like, what is the, what's for you? Like, what is the drama? <laughs> like, yeah. it, it just, it really doesn't make any sense. Um, if you think of it on a macroscopic point of view. Yeah. You look at it from above. You're like, what the hell? So you're drinking in high school. Uh, and how does it evolve? Where'd you go to college, by the way? I went to Colby college. Oh, you went to Colby in Connecticut. Or is no, that, Colby, yeah, Maine. In Maine, okay. Maine. When I was so my yeah. dad is from Stonington, and uh, okay. he had Stonington, Connecticut, and we had some relatives who um, taught or worked at at Colby College. And uh, so as a kid, I would go up to Connecticut. I just remember seeing the Colby College gear, and uh, right. you know, and not many people are familiar with that school. So you go to Colby, which is a great school, and do you play sports there? Well, I was supposed to play um, soccer, but, you know, I was just like, after playing a high level of soccer and, or pretty high level in Atlanta um, and uh, getting up to Colby in the middle of freezing cold Maine and, and it was already, I think we had our first frost like the day before the first practice started. And, you know, my, I, I didn't have great shoulders to begin with because I was a wimp because instead of hitting the weight room on the weekends, like I should have been, I was probably kind of partying with my buddies. Um, you know, that circular thing. And, uh, and I was just like, nah, I'm not going to play, you know, it's, it's okay. Um, I'm, I'm done with this anyway. I'd, I'd rather have my social life. And there's no doubt, you know, looking back on it, that my, my choice not to play, um, soccer in college was, uh, directly related to my, uh, wanting to get right in there from the first day and, kind of party it up and it wasn't a huge party school mm -hmm. uh, but somehow I still managed to like probably drink every night my time there um, or close to it you find yourself right gravitating towards the other folks who are going to do what you're going to do and, and and who are like-minded right right um, and you know, as I look as I look back at it, and, uh, especially after, because I work with so many athletes who are going on to, uh, you know, top colleges or even the U.S. ski team, I'm like, oh, you know, I could have just made a couple different choices, and I would have had a totally different experience. Yeah, that's why when you said about, um, same as me, like. I almost don't even look at those as choices anymore. They're, they, they literally were consequences of my drinking. Like you skip out on the opportunity to, I mean, engage with other, other guys and, and athletes and, and develop this incredible camaraderie and, you know, succeed and fail together so you can drink by yourself pretty much. Right. And uh, it's like, man, how, how, how did that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. Right. You know, it's because, we have something, <laughs> I got something really wrong with, with my brain. 
Um, right. You know, and right. so it's almost okay now that we figured it out. But you're you're in college, and when when did you pick up skiing? Was that another thing you picked up after, or, or were you we skiing a lot? Were, No, we were really big skiers uh, until we moved to Atlanta in seventh grade. That was okay. our sport, uh, and then uh, we kept skiing like out west and doing that and um but i lived with all the ski guys uh at colby which was it was the biggest sport really um next to hockey and um and and so that kind of re-engaged me in skiing again so so you're skiing in college and and are you are you like performing uh like like socially how are your relationships with with the opposite sex Oh, I mean, I never really had a girlfriend. Um, I, I was just kind of again. That would that would mean I would have to dedicate myself to something other than figuring out my social life and the partying. And um, you know, it was mostly the guys that I hung out with. Um, and, and, and even when we would, you know, Colby was a different social scene in that there, there were some like off campus parties that were kind of bigger, but the rest of them were pretty like relaxed, like small dorm room get togethers, um, almost like being in high school, but not getting in trouble for it. Uh-huh. We'll get back to this conversation in a second, but right now a word from our sponsors. The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado. Made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. So you're so you're at you're at Colby, um, and you're just you're drinking a lot. Are you are you are your grades affected? No, no. I I, I still I was smart, um, and I very strate- strategically planned my classes so that <laughs> I would work. I would honestly finish all my classes. I would do like eight o'clock till twelve o'clock, and then I'd work for three or four hours from twelve until four, and then I was done like i never not once in my whole college career was i ever working past four or five o'clock and i always wrote my papers two weeks ahead of time like i was on top of it so um then i had the evening free to do whatever i wanted (laughs) when was your first real big consequence um well, oh, we went to an off-campus party, and um, I guess it's not really a consequence, but I was in the back of this this Volvo, and we had a designated driver, which was responsible of us, but there were nine of us in this Volvo, <laughs> and, uh, and and the cop pulls us over, and, um, and he says to us, like, listen, like, you guys don't have it. You, there's not enough room. And I explained to him, this is our DD. Like, this is safer than um, someone driving drunk. Uh, I explained I said, to him. All of a sudden, the quiet guy, right? Now you're the mouthpiece. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and then I, I, I said to him, well, you know, the responsible thing for you to do would be to give 
three of us, three of us a ride. Um, so they're, we're not all in, in this, in this car. Um, and, and he said, well, actually you're right. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. And so then I called shotgun and I went and I got off and I got into the front seat and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) And I just realized, I mean, I, at the time I had already given him my ID, so he knew who I was. And then he talked to the Dean that night. Um, and the Dean called me into the office. I was like, I, I heard you were being a little like out of control maybe last night. And I was like, not really. Like I was just kind of being me and seeing it how it was. And, um, so maybe that was a, a little bit of, uh, a, I mean, a dude, it's a check. Off. It's a check in. That's kind of what I was looking for there or what I was curious <laughs> about. Like, you know, this is not normal behavior. Uh, and, and, right. and, and, and looking back, you can see those, these are the moments in, in life where it's like, Ooh, like, you know, that was definitely a sign. And, uh, and, and again, Colby's a great school. You're obviously an achiever. Uh, and so you leave school and, and what happens, what happens to your career? And, and, and with that two prong question, what happens with your addiction? Yeah. So again, I was engaged we, I was engaged to my wife who was finishing up at Colby. Uh, and, uh, I went and taught at a junior boarding school and similar to what I did in college is I surrounded myself with guys that like to hang out and party. So nothing really changed. Um, and you know, four or five nights a week when we weren't on like dorm duty, uh, we would get together and, and hang out and, and do our thing. And are we doing um, any, are we, any drugs? No, okay. no, not, not for me. Uh, I, I was at least smart enough knowing my addictive personality that that would be, uh, Catastrophic. uh not very good idea. Um, so, we ended up, you know, having for that first year, really enjoying it, and and then, you know, also I switched schools, and and you know, I, we were young and married, and you know, my wife would hang out with her um, kind of all the girl faculty, and and the guy faculty would get together, play cards at night. We all hung out at the one of the faculty houses, um, and it was honestly like a frat house. Um, and it, that's like school mentality. I think both more boarding school, but, yeah. um, in even day schools, that's just drinking is a big piece of it because they just like to get together, drink, complain about the kids in the administration. Um, and that's life. <laughs> And at this point in time, it sounds like, I mean, honestly, I'm viewing your life like as you're telling a story, almost like I'm watching a movie. It sounds like a, like a, a, a decent, a fun little life, you know, like, like right now. Right. I mean, you're not like out of control. Um, you and your wife are, you know, engaged, I guess. Right. And, uh, when, when do the wheels start to come off or when does she start to say something or you start to notice and, and, uh, there's an instance where it's like, man, I got to stop this. Yeah, it was like when I, everything have. So when I was, I remember there was one time I was having an anxiety attack. I used to like really struggle with anxiety. Um, and 
like really bad, like panic attacks, like heart palpitations, everything. And, and we were in Atlanta and we just moved there and I was, I was having a panic attack and my mom was like, okay, just take a shot of brandy. And I was like, mom, like, this is when you were in seventh grade. This is when I was in seventh okay, grade. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I was like, that's, that's probably not like a good <laughs> thing. Like, I don't think that's normal. And, and I didn't do anything about it, but I was like, okay, like in the back of my mind, like I knew that. Did that you was take the shot? One of the, no, okay. I did not. Okay. Um, it was like, I was just like, there's no way, uh, you know, <laughs> just the thought of it was, was too much for me. But like in the back of my mind, I always knew that that, that was one way to mitigate stress. So um, for me moving forward, it, in the back of my mind, I always was stressed. I always had anxiety and there's always something I was worried about. Um, and I was a huge hypochondriac and I would drink over it. And yeah, if you're like I me, right, you, that's your only coping skill. That's, that, that's my experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I would, I would come home and, uh, and just even after dorm duty and just like slam six beers. Uh, and, and then eventually in when, when, as my addiction progressed, um, even just to on my, just to like get even the tiny bit buzz turned into like, I don't even know, like eight ounces of vodka and then three beers. Uh, and then I'd have a couple more after that. And the cycle just started. Uh, and and by the way, for people that aren't from this region of the country, right? We're talking about the, the Northeast. Um, yeah. Especially that like New England area. There's something, it just is conducive to, to an alcoholic lifestyle. And not that other places aren't, right? I mean, wherever I go, there I am. But that, and maybe it's just my experience because that's where my dad was from. And I just, that was hardcore drinking whenever I was around there. But right. it's an easy place to, to, uh, to co-sign some, some, some drinking bullshit and to be like, you know, it's cold, it's fall, it's whatever. Um, you know, is that, am I, am I right. off on that? Or does that like kind of ring true? Well, I, I just think that people in New England are just really good at, at excuses uh, for for the drinking. Yeah. Um, and then they don't even need any. Um, usually it's like, okay, like in Atlanta, it's like, okay, let's go. It's, it's Kentucky Derby. Let's have a Derby party or let's have uh, UGA's playing. Let's have a, let's have a party. Um, it, it's, it's, it's funny up here. It, it just becomes, more socially acceptable to drink by yourself or in small groups, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and it's still and, polished and, and buttoned up too, on, at least on the outside. Right. So that's where it's a little deceptive, right. right? I mean, that was like my dad's whole thing. His family was like, well, if you have a job, you're not an alcoholic. If you're making money, you know, um, but that's a, that's a whole, that's a whole side deal. So you're, um, I don't want to get off, off the, off topic here, but I had to ask you about that. So you're, you're, you notice that your drinking is, is now becoming accelerated and it's beyond just the cure for anxiety. Oh, yeah. 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 And and I had it. I mean, I had it down for like my last year of, of drinking. I would have a vitamin, like two vitamin bottles in my backpack and I would drink them down so that I could fit uh, like eight ounces in each of them. I knew exactly where on the label to drink them down to and, and then fill them up, get rid of the bottle, have the vitamin 
bottles, uh, water bottles. And to this day, like I can't even look at vitamin water without like feeling <laughs> sick. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and then, you know, that was, that was that vicious cycle that, that, that I got caught in. Were you drinking like while you were teaching? No, it never got like that. Um, but, but you're it was, I was hiding it. And the second, the end of the day, um, ended, I was done. And so you start, so what, what leads to your, every people have that rock bottom or, or, you know, I bottomed out and sometimes it's not, it doesn't, for me, it didn't even mean like I, I got sober the next day, but it's, it's right. a, it's a place in your life where I heard it described by a medical professional where you really are forced to look in the mirror at yourself yeah. and at your situation. And it triggers a move forward. Um, right to some possible clarity or, or, or in your case, a solution, what happened? So for me, it was, uh, you know, I, many people know that alcohol contributes to high levels of anxiety, uh, especially when you're detoxing. So if, you know, you, I was super high strung already and, and stressed out and, and had high anxiety and had gone to, uh, my, um, primary care physician. And of course I wanted something that kind of tied me over for when I wasn't able to drink and, um, was looking for some, some, exactly to, to help me out a little bit for, for when I was really, um, hurting. And, uh, it got to the point where I was having an anxiety attack and, um, it was after hours and, uh, I ended up. So you did get the going, pres- you did get a prescription for anxiety stuff. Yes, okay. I did, and okay. I never. I mean, I, I would take it like when I traveled or like if I could only have like a couple beers uh, to fall asleep. You know, I would take a lorazepam, and and that was it. Okay. Uh, and uh, it, it got to the point where I, I had this really bad anxiety attack, and I I basically just. I was curled up on the couch, um, and and uh, my wife called our good friends and neighbors over, and and they're like, "You got to just take him to the hospital. What the freak is wrong with him?" How, like, you're I like 30, 32. I'm thirty two, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, scary, and so man. So I, scary, right? So scary for your I wife and those ho- neighbors. <laughs> I mean, I go to the hospital, and I get put in the waiting room and I'm waiting. I'm like, what the heck? I just want to see a psychologist. Like I just like figure out what's wrong with my head. It's like, like I'm depressed. Like, I don't want to, I, 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 I don't want to go through this. Like what is going on? Uh, and they come in and they take my blood and they come back in and they're like, we've got to wait another four hours. Okay. And I'm like, okay. And my wife was like, why? It's like, well, cause he's, his blood alcohol content, he's not allowed to be admitted until it gets out of his system. And my wife was like, what is going on? She had no idea, so this really. Was, this was 24 hours after I stopped drinking. And she had no so idea that it was like to this level? To this, right. So um, you were like, she, a, I, you were like a, a tactical surgeon, the way that you were hiding it was just So at that point, I mean... I think one of my first things was like, okay, like I'll do anything. I like, like I'm not going to lose you. I'm not going to lose the kids. 
I need help. I get it. Um, but I can, I can still have a beer from time to time. Right. <laughs> that was like the first thing that came out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, so that is a true alcoholic right there. <laughs> and what, what kind of reaction are we getting? Oh, it was not a, it was not a very pleased reaction. <laughs> and it was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, and, and we made some phone calls and, and I was, I actually ended up detoxing in that hospital, which was probably the best thing for me. So you, so, so you never left that hospital and you never, I'm, I'm guessing maybe well, I, you, you never had another drink I again. Detox, right. Yeah. I went straight to detox there. That's awesome. Uh, instead of going somewhere else. And, uh, it was, you know, right in the psych ward. And honestly, Ben, I gotta give your wife props because like, oh, oh uh, not a lot of people, you know, can be convinced, can be like, yeah, okay. Like they, they just want, and it's not like there's anything wrong with them. Um, but they just want everything to be okay. Right. Okay. He can have a beer. You know what I mean? Like for your wife to be like, something is wrong. No, we're taking action. This is what it sounds like happens. And then you're, you're in detox. Yep. And then the next thing you yep. know, I'm guessing you're in rehab. Yeah. So then I went straight to Silver Hill, um, Silver in Hill, Connecticut yeah. Uh, and I did, so I was supposed to do, uh, the 28 day program, but I, I wasn't ready that last week to get out for a lot of reasons. And, you know, the main reason being like the kids were still there at school and I'd been just disappeared with kind of a month left or with, with six weeks left. Uh, and I, I just wasn't ready to face that. I needed to face it on an empty campus and get back to life that way. Yeah. And uh, so I stayed an extra week, and um, then uh, I went straight home and into meetings. Wow. Um, so before we get into the recovery, the one last thing I want to like put a bow on here when we talk about that, that like quote unquote bottom is like, again, like what, your support system, your wife, um, I've heard this a million times. And when anybody asks, this is the only advice I can give because it was given to me from a medical professional. When somebody bottoms out, like, like you did and you're in the hospital, like it's, it's let's, let's go, let's be ready to have a plan. Let's get this person into a, a treatment center. Or, you know, if that's not the story, right, right into meetings, right? Because that's the time. Like when you're broken and it's like, you're much more apt to be like, okay, I'll, 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 I'll do this as to when, you know, five or, you know, six that night when you're, you're feeling good again, you know, and, and it's like, whatever. Um, so that's, that's like a great, like, you know, that, that, that speaks to that, your story. It's exactly, sounds like exactly what happened. So you go to meetings and what starts to happen for you? Oh, I, you know, the, I think for me, the best part of the meetings was uh, I could, it didn't matter in that room. I, I did the like, I felt like I was kind of speed dating a little bit when I was looking for the meetings that spoke to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and I was looking for, for the right thing. And, and, and my sponsor kept saying, listen, when you know you're with a group you belong with, you, you'll know. And um, I finally found this group that had, Everything from, you know, MDs from New York City, stockbrokers, plumbers, um, retired women, homeless, every single person. Uh, but it was so real and didn't have the judging that I had felt at other places. 
um, especially because, you know, I, I deal with bipolar um, and I don't talk about that during meetings and, and what have you, but. Yeah, but it's the reality, and, dude. Exactly. If you're talking exactly. about your experience and you're talking about your story, that's part yep. of it. Exactly. And, 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 and it's important that you share that because I think it's important that other people in your shoes hear it, you know, um, whether it's in a right. meeting or out of a meeting. Right. Uh, so I, I finally found a meeting that I could say exactly what I wanted whenever I wanted and know I had the support and I did my, you know, 90 and 90 and, and then I would go again with school as 90 and 90 was easy over summertime as a teacher, uh, but it's more difficult. How important do you think that is though? For, or was for you, I guess it's the only really question I can ask. Like how important was that 90 and 90 going to 90 meetings in 90 days? For me, uh, like when people tell me they can't do it, I just tell them they're late. Um, And just because. Well, you tell them you're what? They're what? They're lazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because you you can figure it out. Unless you're in the middle of nowhere, you shouldn't have any excuses. Like I, I, I had a, um, a, I went and spoke at Silver Hill and there's a, a kid, not a kid, but like a 25 year old uh, who, who said, you know, I, I can't do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I was like, you live in New York city. Do you have any idea? You have 24 hour meetings. Like yeah. you have a meeting every second, anywhere you can do it. You can make the time. And then you just have to remind yourself. My sponsor said, you made the time to drink. So you can make the time for that one hour to go to a meeting every day. And I was like, aha, that is exactly <laughs> what I need to hear. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's, I think it's one of those things you nailed it, dude. All the, if you can take an hour a day to go to a meeting, you can have 23 other hours, which are pretty productive or, or feel pretty free. Um, right. So after the 90 and 90, you just continue on recovery or you following suggestions and you know, you have a sponsor Are you and, and, and then I'm guessing 90 and 90 ends. So summer ends. So now it's time to kind of get back into the thick of things. Exactly. So, it, you know, my, the school I was at was amazing. Um, and I said, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm going to come in an hour late, got this, I'm going to go to meetings. They were totally on board. Uh, and then I did, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and and that was like exactly what I needed. Um, but to, you, but you, you built out your schedule around this recovery. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And I, for me, I everything has to be a schedule. That's why, like, I'm a little lost right now without having any big swims on the horizon. Like uh-huh. My schedule is a mess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a I'm a mess uh, unless I have it all laid out. Like this is what I'm doing. These are the days I'm going. Uh, that's what works best for me for sure. That's a good blueprint for anybody. That kind of speaks to me. I, Cause sometimes I'm like, Oh, I'll go to a meeting or oh, I won't, but I could probably, I could use that, you know, like, Hey, like let me get to three, these three meetings this week. Um, and then, and then honestly, it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of simple, right? Let's, I'm just going to get to them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody said recently, uh, it was a coach was talking about a great jazz player, uh, says, you know, Jazz is easy, but simple ain't, uh, no, jazz is simple, but simple ain't easy. And that's kind of like sobriety, right? Sobriety is simple, but simple ain't easy. Like, but you get to a meeting and that's the simple part, right? And then you do the work. Um, and yeah, that's good to hear that. Like, you know, you build it, put in your schedule and boom, 
you're there. Um, you're right. And, and the best advice I, I found was, you know, it was then my temporary sponsor, Ken. Uh, he said, find the biggest hard ass in there, the one that you're scared of, the one that you don't want to go up to, that should be your sponsor. <laughs> and that's what I did. Like, <laughs> I went for like the dude that was by the book and I knew was going to ride my ass and just do everything impossible, say whatever needs to be said in order for me to get through the steps, to be efficient and to hold me accountable. And so that's, that's the thing. You're, you're definitely accountable now. And I want to move into like, you know, what you're doing uh, as far as the swimming is concerned. You're, you're drumming up hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. And, and you're not, you're not anonymous, you're accountable. Uh, and, and people can, can be anonymous if they want to be sober. That's fine. Uh, whatever. But you, you know, my story is not like that and neither is yours. When do you find the courage? When does the, the switch flip where, okay, I'm going to be real transparent about this because one, I think you have an opportunity to touch the lives of, of, of young people, right. At the, at, the, at the school where you are now, the coaching you do, and also just through, what you do um, with recovery. But so how, how, how did you build that, that uh, identity where you're saying, I'm, I'm going to be transparent about this publicly? So I think a lot of times as alcoholics, you tend to ignore those around you who are, who are getting help or asking for help because you yourself have that guilt and that know-how that you really need the help as well. And so you put your blinders up. And and I, I had had my blinders up for so long. And once I got sober and I started to look around, I was like, oh, my gosh, look at all these people that need help or are asking for help. And, and for those who knew what I had been through, you know, they started to come up to me and say, Hey, listen, like, I know you probably don't want to talk about this, but I have a brother or a sister that's going through this. What do I do? How do I do it? Um, because we're the experts all of a sudden, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I, I just wanted to help. And, and I, I, I got a, I had a few instances where, I had students come to me about their parents, and um, and and at that point, I was working with middle school students, and I just said, "Okay, let's work on this together." And I set them up with Al Anon or Alateen, and um, and and we would put a. Um, I would talk to the parent who wanted to help out. And uh, we we'd get the other one the, the help they needed, and and so it was at that point where I was like, well, I don't really care. Like, I don't care if people judge me or or say that this is who you are. Um, you, you, I'm I don't know if I'm a proud alcoholic, but it's just a piece of who I am. It's just like I'm a swimmer. I'm an alcoholic. I am. Uh, I am who I am, and uh, if I can help other people, and and that's why when when the smoothie and, and the swim and everything came to to light, um, I was a little reticent at first, but I said, you know, if if I can help just a few people, just one person, uh, and inspire them to make the necessary changes in their lives, to 
be happy, healthy, and, and put down the drink or, or put down whatever addiction they have, then heck yeah, let's do it. It's funny, dude, because you hear that, right? If I can help the one person and it becomes like something that you hear often and it's like if that one becomes a number, but that one is really a, a human being. And, and oh, by the way, it's, it's probably way more than one. And like it really is more effective than anything else I've ever done. More, more important um, than anything else I want to put a label on that I equal, you know, to mean success and it's, it's, it's amazing. And for me, sounds like you, the same deal. It's, it's, it's well worth it. Um, and especially with, you know, this is something interesting because I, I talk to anybody, um, that, 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 you know, for this podcast, you can be of any walk of life. Right. And, you know, I just talked to a guy, Quincy Carter, who was born in the inner city of Atlanta. Right. Um, and, uh, or he was born in Chicago, grew up in an inner city in Atlanta. And now I talk to you, um, you know, somebody who's more from, from a, you know, higher class uh, as, as a youth. Did you find any judgment growing up in maybe like an upper crust society uh, because you, you get sober and then was, was there a different type of judgment there? Oh, there's always that judgment um, of, of kind of being uh, that spoiled kid and, you know, Silver Hill is a great example. You know, when people say, where'd you go to rehab? You say, Oh, I went to Silver Hill. They're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like you're one of those. I went to Karen. Like, I get the same thing. Right. And it's so funny that it's like what university you went to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> depending on, uh, and, and, but did you find a judgment? I, what I'm asking Ben is, did you find a judgment from within your community? Um, you know, from, from people, in the boarding schools, arenas, you know, in that those areas around Colby, like, oh, wow, like, he's a real screw-up? No. Um, because, again, I tried to associate myself with um, fellow screw-ups. Um, <laughs> and not, not at Colby. Like, my Colby friends were pretty responsible. They, they, they were responsible guys. Like, they would go out, like, one day of the week. And then I would have to like fish around to find the people to party with during the week. Um, and there's like, a, I would, I would say at, at a Colby, like half the kids are coming from your private upper class kind of upbringing. And the other half are coming from your public school who, you know, blue collar type of, of, of setup. Um, and, and, uh, you know, social classes, it, it is what you, you make of it. Um, I've, I, I think that I've always been kind of seen as a, especially within the school communities that I've worked in, like, oh, like he's a, he's kind of a spoiled brat. Like he spends his summers in Rhode Island and, uh, gets what he wants. He, I, I hope I don't carry myself that way, but. So far, so okay. good, dude. We've been talking for for forty five minutes. I don't, I don't pick it up, and so yeah. yeah. Uh, but sometimes it allows me to relate to the kids a little bit better because you know I'm I'm most of my students now and in the past have been brought up in similar backgrounds, um, but that doesn't have to make us who we are. Um, just I, I think alcoholism. Um, while your, your, your chances definitely increase with your genetics, 
Um, it's, it's something that is who we are and it's just a part of us. Um, as much as my upbringing was, and I'm glad I had the fortunate upbringing that I had. Um, and I'm glad that I'm an alcoholic because it allows me to be who I am to do what I do. And, and people think it's so crazy when I say that. Um, no, it's not at but, all because, uh, you know, you look at your story. I mean, now here you are and we touched on it and we'll get into it. Like you're raising a, a lot of money for a great, for, right. for, for a great cause. That's, that's really, uh, you know, not so much so associated. And I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong with recovery. I mean, it's clean, clean ocean access is something that's, that's near and dear to your heart. Right. And, uh, you're, you're not creating awareness and, you know, generating revenue for this situation if you're not sober. Bottom line. Right. You know, so, so, so you're doing that today and you go from a guy who doesn't know how to swim, knows how to swim, but doesn't really know how to swim competitively. Right. Um, and that's, man, that's a lot, that's a lot to, to chew on. How, how did you, how did you find the courage to do that? It was just like, I'm again. I'm. I'm I, I. I need to have goals, and I need to have accountability. And so, when after when I first signed up to do um, and and train for the Key West um, race, that was like my 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 personal trial. And I said, if I if I if I could do that, I could do anything. Uh, if I could swim for just over five hours, I can swim for 10 or 15 and yeah now uh, you're doing about, about like 14 right yeah yeah just 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 a 14 you know just under 15 was my last was the last one so it's and and a lot of that it doesn't come from yeah it's preparation and yeah it's getting in the water and and getting your miles in but the number one thing by far is mental fortitude and it's powering through those walls that you hit along the way. And I found that in my experience of life and, and being an alcoholic and uh, when, when it gets rough and I, I can't move my left shoulder or I'm really hurting or I want to throw up, I just tell myself to suck it up and just think about how awful it could have been right then. Uh, and, and to be thankful to be doing exactly what I'm doing. Um, and, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. And that's the perspective that sobriety and work in work in sobriety, right? Work in some kind of program within sobriety can give you. Now, what, what exactly is clean ocean access? So, uh, clean ocean access. I found that, uh, during one of my, when I was just learning how to swim and I did this one mile swim and it was sponsored by an organization called clean ocean access in, in Newport, Rhode Island. And, uh, at that point they were a pretty young organization and, um, they raised money to clean, um, the Narragansett Bay all, all around, uh, Rhode Island. They take uh, samples to make sure the, the beaches are all swimmable. They, um, they clean up the beaches. They, you know that shrink wrap that they put on all the boats in oh, yeah. any cold climates? So we collect all the shrimp shrink wrap uh, <laughs> from various boat yards, and we recycle it into little pellets 
um, that can then be made into shrink wrap again. Uh, and and so all that usually goes to just goes to the landfill and um, and and then we're also working to preserve access to the shore because that's such a huge part again you get into a, a little bit of um, the social and political issues with this but um, you, you know for fishermen and for uh, kayakers to, to have a access point to, to the water no matter where they are in Rhode Island is so important uh, instead of having these huge houses that come up and kind of make those access points disappear. Um, we need to help preserve those for, uh, for, for access. And, um, and, and I got involved just by doing that race. I was like, I needed a goal and I wanted something that I believed in yeah. to raise money for because I didn't want to quit. You know, I needed something. That, to yeah, it's, uh, that's accountability, dude. I mean, you jump, you're talking about, you've raised, I don't know, about like, what, almost $200,000 for this. And uh, you, you you jump in the water and you start one of these swims. Have you thought to yourself, like, God, I, I, I want to stop, but I can't because I've I've got people, you know, there's, there's, there's some riding on this. Absolutely. Like, there every every time um i mean my last race it was hilarious uh, not race but my last swim it, i was like okay i just raised a hundred thousand dollars or at that point it wasn't quite a hundred thousand but uh now it is and i i there was one point where the current was against me and i was averaging about one point I don't know, one just over a mile uh an hour because of the current and the wind. And I went in one hour, I went 140 yards. Okay. Like I hardly even moved. And, <laughs> and the best part was I was right next to this Island and I was like, Oh my gosh. And I looked up at those support boat, like this sucks. Like, this is so bad. What are we doing? And one of the guys said, well, there's desperation Island. Once you get past it. And I was like, that's not even funny. I was like, and they're like, no, I'm serious. The name of that is Desperation Island. <laughs> uh, I will never forget that island <laughs> in, in my in my whole life. Um, but again, I was like, okay, there's a dude who is making a movie of this. That would be so lame if I don't make it through this swim, you know? Yeah, I mean, again, it's one more slice of accountability, one more layer of accountability. It was it. What was it like to to have that 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 swim tough? How I Swam My Way Out of a Bottle, that, that documentary. You know, what was it like to have, have that made about you, about something you're doing? Is that, that's got to be heady stuff. Yeah, no, it, it, it's intense um, because I, it puts it in perspective when you see yourself telling your story in that way, in a dramatic fashion, um, because it's emotional, I think, because it's real. And, and you can really see it. It's another thing just talking about it or listening to it. And uh, so we're in the process right now of editing everything and getting everything <laughs> together. And uh, But the trailer's and, out. And the trailer's out. Yeah. Right. So it's like, um, it's, it's, it's really cool too. You know, it's saying yeah. this is why I do it. Uh, I, I do it 
for myself because in the end, I do it for clean ocean access. Um, and I, I do it to, to bring awareness and, and I, I do it for, for other alcoholics and people who are struggling. But in the end, the only reason why I do it is for me. <laughs> like ultimately I do it for me just to show myself that I can do these things. Yeah. And that's kind of why you, you, it's funny, right? It takes us back to the overall message for, for us today. It's like, it's why you get so, why you get sober. You got to do it for yourself. Totally. You have to. It's got to come. It's got to be a pure thing that comes from within because it isn't easy, right? Um, It's, but man, it's it's so it's so fulfilling. What a couple questions. I'm curious about your swim before I get you out of here. What's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you? I mean, you're in the you're in the ocean at 14 hours a clip. Um, Any any like any sharks? Any like any any scary stuff with with fish? My last one was really a little sketchy because I was swimming from Block Island to Jamestown, and that's some of the sharkiest waters in the United States when it comes to great whites. And uh, yeah, I mean, I if we've ever seen people, Jaws, right, folks? This is the, this is the region yeah. we're talking about. I had two boats with me, um, like two twenty-one foot boats, and at times I had a Coast Guard cutter. Uh, and I wore a shark um, leash on like a. Th- three-foot uh, electric pulsing sh- shark leash. Uh, and, and that helps you kind of think that the sharks aren't going to get you. But you know that 60 feet below you, there are some sharks. And they didn't, they didn't tell me, but both of, the, both of the guys who were on the boat, who were captaining the boats, um, were pinging 15 to, to 16-foot sharks underneath us as we were as we were going so it was like i knew they're there but i didn't want to i didn't want to ever accept it so it was just like mind over matter the the whole way uh but other than that like any any bad like stings like any bad jellyfish stings or anything every every hour yeah oh really how bad does that hurt like like on a one to a ten scale it depends on the jellyfish, but uh, most of them are lion's mane jellyfish, so it's not that bad. It's sort of like a bee sting. Uh, the only ones that really get on me are the ones that get on my lips because those take forever to go away. So are you, is there any, like, clearly, we haven't talked about this, but there's a connection with the higher power here. Are, are you, how does that connection with the higher power that you have been able to, you know, have evolved over the course of being sober. How does that play into stuff like this, these swims? So it's funny, like my, uh, my, my second sponsor um, said, you got to hit your knees every morning and every night. Um, And, and for me, uh, I, I, I definitely connect with my, I do a great job at nighttime because that's like my, wind down time morning time i'm such a mess that i don't ever know what's up what's down what's going on uh so i you know, i don't usually hit my knees um but for me when i'm in the water it's almost as if i have a permanent connection um and that's where i ask for help and that's where i process things and that's where i find peace 
And, and for me, peace is is that connection with the higher power and, and, and what that higher power provides me on a daily basis. Uh, and so much of that for me is contemplation, self-reflection, uh, and understanding. And, and whether I'm in the ocean or even in a pool, it's harder in a pool because you're hitting walls the whole time. Uh, but especially in the ocean or a lake, uh, it's amazing what those conditions can do to your subconscious and, and conscious mind. Yeah, and it's out there for us. It makes me want to take advantage. Uh, last, last question for you. What do you do? What do you say to, you know, the person, uh, the young guy who comes into a meeting and, 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 and asks you, says, Ben, what, what do I do? And, you know, I, I, I know that the, the one day at a time uh, moniker doesn't always ring true to, to everyone. But one, the one piece of advice that is always, you know, if in the back of my head, and I don't even think it's been temptation, at least not for a while, of me picking up again. Anything that you put in front of your, your sobriety, you will lose. That piece for me was huge and is huge uh, because it makes me realize that everything that the world that I'm living with, the relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my students, and my spot on this earth revolves around that sobriety. And that is a very fragile connection. And it can all come tumbling down with just one sip. Yeah. You said it all. Yeah. Anything else? I think, you know, I think I've covered it all. <laughs> Dude, man, that was so great, man. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. 